everyone. Welcome back to But Why the Podcast. And today we're talking about somebody who likes his Earl Grey hot, Picard. As always, I'm Kate. I'm here with Adrian. Hey, how's it going? And Matt. Hello. And of course, we had to bring on a British guy to talk about the biggest British guy in all of Star Trek. Eric. Hello. So <laughs> <laughs> <Dark> excited. <laughs> so, Aaron, why don't you tell people why you're on this episode? Besides being British. Uh, yeah, besides being British. <laughs> I see. That was going to be my whole launch. I was like, I assume I got invited on because I'm the British guy and like, you know, I have a podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously uh, a big Picard fan. Um, I have a, a whole thing with with Star Trek, but I'll get into it a little later. But yeah, I, just, I love Patrick Stewart. I mean, he's just fantastic to watch. And I guess seeing him as Picard was definitely one of those, those first things for me as a kid, like just obsessed with this guy and just you know seeing him as a captain just absolutely brilliant i mean who doesn't love seeing him and just like that jean-luc picard and i just i love him i love him that's awesome well i'm excited to have you on because if y'all remember if you're listening and if you were listening to us about a hundred episodes ago we covered the captains where we went through pretty much all the major ones uh, we did, right? It was it, We went through all of them, with the exception of Voyager, because he was a small footnote. <laughs> yeah, and also, like, it's hard to, like, cover Enterprise when there's only, like, three of us. We can't yeah, cover all right. the captains when there's only three of us. It's oh, no, it hard. was Voyager and Enterprise, because we talked yeah. about Janaway, like, a very, very tiny piece. Yeah, very tiny piece, but we primarily did, you know, the three, I would say three main-ish captains, but, I mean, that's debatable at this point, but... Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm glad we're getting to do a little bit of a deeper dive, and I'm glad Kate's Kate's going for it and leading it because I know she loves Picard. I feel like you're just happy because this means we have to do a Cisco episode. Eventually, eventually, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So, uh, going with that, I want our first question to be: What is your favorite Picard moment? When Patrick Stewart played Xavier for the X Men. Matt, that's no. <laughs> That's the extent of my knowledge on this subject. <laughs> now we know why Aaron is here. <laughs> Bringing balance. <laughs> Adrian? Have you really watched no Picard? Like, not like clips? No nothing? I mean, I know the facepalm gifts and some of the other memes and stuff. That's about it. Yeah, he... he... He does have good gifts. He's got great it's... gifts and memes, but as far as anything I, else... I like the shimmy. Yeah, the, the shimmy was pretty good. The shimmy is my favorite one. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't... I have not really watched any Star Trek. I've, we've been through this... Every time you guys bring up this episode, we do another one, say, hey, we're doing Star Trek, and Matt Adrian's has to explain, hoping that I have converted you at that point. And Matt has to yeah, explain over know. and over again, I have not watched Star Trek anything. I found it boring as a know. child. It just makes me insanely sad because like Picard is you for most And things. you like and you like space. I know, but also like Picard, like I saw in the previews, I like to sit outside by myself. <laughs> in your vineyard. <laughs> in your vineyard. <laughs> He's too close to Picard to realize how good Picard is. <laughs> They're too alike. Um <laughs> Because I think I know what Kate's going to say, and I think I said Kate's last time, so I'm not going to say No, just say it. Say your thing. No, it's okay. No, it's okay. No, because I'm saving, like, I have, like, a Rolodex that I'm saving, so just say your thing. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. So I'm just going to go something completely opposite that I don't think we're going to talk about, but I think one of my favorite moments for Picard 
actually involves Cisco, uh, Captain Cisco on Deep Space Nine, because they have that interaction where like Cisco or Picard thinks that like Cisco's compromised because when Picard was aboard, he killed his family or Cisco's family, but Cisco don't take no mess from nobody, not even the great Captain Picard, and basically says like, "Hey, I'm here to do my job. Uh, leave me alone." And I don't think we ever really see anyone really talk to Picard in a way that like says like, "Hey, dude, I don't care who you are. I'm here to do my job." And I just think it's a really cool moment because we also see like Picard be like, "Oh yeah, I mean, I understand why this dude's mad. I killed his wife <laughs> and left his son motherless when I was a Borg." I understand why you're upset. Instead of being like, hey, man, get over it. It was a very, like, human moment that I think is real. And I'm sure we're talking about all the other great Picard moments, but I think that one's like kind of my out-of-left-field one. Um, So my favorite Picard moment actually comes from the new series, but if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it yet, don't worry. We're going to cover that at the very end of the episode, so I'm not going to mention that moment because it's a it's, it's a bullet point in here. Um, so my second favorite moment is always, always, always going to be when Picard is taken cap cap when he's captured by yeah. the, <laughs> the Cardassians, and he has to it, it essentially. When he's being tortured and they're trying to get him to tell them that there are five lights and he refuses and he, cons- he consistently s- tells the truth, it's one of like the quintessential Picard moments and shows you how strong he is. But that's not my favorite part. It's the lead up to it when at the very end, um, he explains that he he was about to do it. He was about to give them what they wanted because there is an insane amount of vulnerability that Picard shows throughout his tenure as captain and into uh, his new show that I don't think we get whenever we somebody who is whenever we get somebody who is at that level of being in charge or that level of heroism in fiction, especially in science fiction. Um, so that to me is always it's like my quintessential Picard moment. And runner up is when he's drawing with crayons for the kids on uh, <laughs> on the Enterprise because. Uh, he has to take care of them, and it's Picard Day. So Picard Day, that's a good one. <laughs> was that that was that what you thought I was going to say, uh, Adrian? No, I thought for sure you were going to say like the Four Lights episode ish stuff because like that's one of my favorite moments too. Yes. Like it's just so good. It's like some of his best acting he's ever done in literally anything. Yeah, one hundred percent. Logan takes a close second, but it's yeah, it's those that one episodes. is really good. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, what about you? So I'm going to go into a small diatribe just to kind of explain myself because otherwise I'm going to embarrass myself completely. So I have a really interesting relationship with Star Trek and I'll try and keep this as short as possible. But growing up, like Star Trek for me was always this like quintessential, like nerdy thing. But I was almost embarrassed to like it because growing up in like the 80s and 90s, it wasn't cool, at least in England, to admit you kind of like this stuff. It wasn't cool felt, anywhere. Like, People forget about that. People have to, <laughs> but all like, these st- nerds nowadays yell, it's so popular, why is everybody thinking? Like, no, it wasn't cool for a long time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And But like Star Wars was like, it still was a step above. Like it was like, okay, well, yeah, it's a, you know, one of the mm-hmm. world's most popular films. But Star Trek was always like, it was just a quintessential nerdy thing. So I, I kind of used to, ha- I used to watch it and kind of like, you know, at home and stuff like that. But it was never... 
regularly. I was never a regular TV watcher. It was kind of one of those things when it was on, I found myself like kind of would gravitate towards it. But I almost kind of like beat myself up for like wanting to like it and wanting to watch it. Like to a point where you talk to people and you'd be like, oh, no, no, I don't like, I, it was like a secret chair. I'm like, oh, I don't want don't watch Star Trek. I'm not Trekkie. Like, you know, kind of <laughs> hide it away. But then I'd find myself like, you know, watching like the films and everything like that. Now, I don't have a clear memory because I didn't watch it sequentially. So I have I have no real clear memory of like some of the episodes. But it's one of those things that when I hear the theme tune and when I think of Picard as a captain, like it just it just, for some reason it still resonates with me. And it's kind of one of those like deep regrets. Like I should have just watched it. I should have like owned it and kind of like really like enjoyed the fact that it was a good show. And but, you know, like I said, I, I still did watch it from time to time. And I remember my dad, uh, I'm not particularly close to it, but was always a, a big Star Trek fan. Like, it, it captured his imagination things. But I think if, if I Aaron. think back to, like, one of the things that really sticks in my mind, it's, it's probably some of the movies, like the one I remember where he, um, he does get uh, turned into a Borg. And I, I kind of, this new show, like, you kind of see some of those elements of that as well. Um, and the yeah. new show's fantastic. I love it so much. The new show but it is has, everything I ever wanted. And it, it's it's kind of revived, it's, it's brought up all these old memories, to be quite honest with you. Like, I've forgotten this stuff. You kind of just, you move on with your life, don't you? And you, you forget some of this stuff. And you're like, oh yeah, you know, like, liking Star Trek back in the day wasn't cool. Like, now, you know, you yeah. get to talk about, like, your favorite captain and, you know, there's all these different iterations of Star Trek. And it's awesome, but, like... So it's kind of like watching the show has kind of revived my interest. Like, I need to go back and like really watch this because it's something I always knew I'd liked. I just, it, it, like I said, it was my, my little secret shame I had, so. That's really cool. So I, I mean, I haven't been a lifelong Trekkie. I mean, I came into it in college because my mom, who hates Star Wars, was like, I love Star Trek. And I was like, okay. And then I binged it all in a week because I was oh, obsessed. Wow. I think it was like my freshman year. So yeah, you're 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 yeah. good company. It's okay. <laughs> Nobody will hurt you here, except maybe Matt. I spent, <laughs> I spent a long time on that. Like, oh, you either like Star Wars or Star Trek. Yeah, just because yeah, I was that, just that's young like and dumb. Growing up, mm-hmm. yeah, growing up, that yeah. was always the pitch, wasn't it? It was yeah. you know Marvel or DC, Star Wars or Star Trek, and I. You know, young, you feel like everything's a competition. And you're like, and I yeah. did. I love Star Wars. My family was raised on Star Wars, but I, I always did like Star Trek. And it, like, you, you only, as it comes with age, you kind of realize like these two things don't have to compete. They can yeah. exist on the same level, and they can be enjoyed for. And they are very different properties. They're yeah, sure. very, I mean, very the different. Star things. Wars is more fantasy. Star Trek yes. is more science fiction, like deep, deep science fiction. Um, and I also think, like to that point, and as we segue into Picard, I think one of the reasons that people like uh, would pit franchise against franchise, company against company. I think a lot of it came from like the fact that we were all demonized. Like a dude pushed me down when I was like, I think I was like ten ish, and stole my Pokemon cards because girls weren't supposed to have them. And I've had my X-Men comics stolen from me by a guy in school because I wasn't supposed to have them because I was a girl. And then also the girls were like, ew, you like nerdy 
things. So, like, we've all been there, and I feel like the yeah. franchise wars was a way of making ourselves feel better because we could make somebody else feel bad the same way the bullies are making us feel bad. You almost kind of, like, mirror that same behavior, don't yeah. you? Yeah. So I think that that's where it came from, which is why I think as we've gotten older and as this stuff has proliferated pop uh, in, in pop culture, I think that that's really helped us get away from the versus them attitude or versus attitude between franchises because there's just so much now, um, which is a did good you just thing. did you just psychoanalyze my undying love for Fast and the Furious and why I'll always defend it? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've grown up now and now I don't feel like they need to hide things. I feel like I, this is a very deep conversation. You know what? Thanks, Picard, for this moment. I was like, it's the kind of conversation Jean Luc Picard would have exactly because he's not it. about fighting unless he has to. <laughs> Um, so this episode... While he ships his tea. Exactly. Uh, this episode is gonna be a little bit different because I didn't, like, as I was trying to set up the history, all of it was why he mattered. Like, every piece of Picard, from Patrick Stewart's casting to the decisions made in production and the stories told, are all about why Picard matters. So we're gonna just jump right into it. Because I think that's the best way to do it. Um, and yes. if you want more background stuff, go listen to episode 35, which may... It, it's available. Yes, it's available. Go listen to episode 35 of the podcast, because uh, I think we go more into stuff there where we talk about all the captains. But yeah, so to start off, Jean-Luc Picard, played by Patrick Stewart, appeared in The Next Generation from 1987 to 1994, the time period for this Star Trek series is the 24th century, and his ship was the USS Enterprise NCC-1701C, NCC-1701D, and NCC-1701E. This does exclude um, the current series, and I haven't really taken too much into account the films, um, even though I think they're great. Um, and we do have some pretty stellar Picard moments from them, um, and a little baby Tom Hardy. <laughs> who is a who is a ridiculously good young pa Patrick Stewart? Like I don't get it. Um, it's one of my favorite things to show people, like who are a big into because people like in my age group are like real big into Bane and you know the. I was like, do you know that that dude was in Star Trek way before he was Bane, <laughs> <laughs> or way before he was Venom? Look at this. Oh, I do want to say because of Tom Hardy's rules, he's a big old nerd. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, essentially, what Patrick Stewart does, he's the second person to come into the captain's chair after Kirk. Um, the decision to make Star Trek The Next Generation was because of the success of the, uh, Star Trek, original Star Trek cast, uh, feature films. And so they were kind of riding that wave to go into a new series, um, and what the first, but why though, is also how he started because Patrick Stewart redefined what it meant to be a captain. Um, so Patrick Stewart has a background of theater at the Royal Shakespeare Company, and he was initially considered for the role of Data. Now, Gene Roddenberry, the creator of Star Trek, the man who started it all and essentially defined American science fiction, uh, didn't want to cast Stewart as Picard because he envisioned an actor who was, in quotations, masculine, virile, and had a lot of hair. 
so shatner <laughs> um <laughs> that was a captain that was a captain to him and it took weeks of discussion for different casting directors and different people involved in the new series to finally convince Roddenberry that Stewart was the was the one they had to be looking for to sit in that chair and ultimately Roddenberry Roddenberry ended up agreeing after auditioning every single other candidate for the role like literally wow. if a person could have played Picard they auditioned him because Roddenberry was not sure uh, so Stuart, do you, do you have any like uh, like what could have been?s Did do you know who like they interviewed? And stuff? I did, but I didn't know any of their names, so I didn't include oh them my on god, here. <laughs> that's really bad. <laughs> um, Sounds good, but I did look at pictures, and all of them fit that Captain Kirk type. Uh, a lot of hair, relatively young, so thirties to forties ish. Um, definitely strong and hyper-masculine and just defining, uh, sitting in within the definition of who you think would command a ship. A la Chris Pine as Kirk in the new, in the new series. Um, but this is the first departure, uh, Patrick Stewart is actually the first departure from a stereotypical captain, which is something that is replicated in in Cisco Janoway, and ultimately with a Enterprise man who I never remember his name because I never really watched that show. Count Bacula. There he is. <laughs> That's the name Steve, of the actor. I don't Steven, remember his Steven name. Steven Bacula, right? Is yeah. it Steven? Steven I watched like three episodes of that. That show was boring. Yeah. yeah but but yeah, he was yeah. closer to Kirk than any of the other ones. Exactly, and Patrick yeah. Stewart pretty much starts this trend because it works. Uh, so, but the uncertainty was, uh, reciprocated because Stuart was uncertain why the producers casted a middle-aged, bold, English Shakespearean actor as the captain of the Enterprise. Um, and he ended up having his toupee delivered from London to meet him at, with, uh, to meet with the Paramount executives. But Roddenberry ordered Stuart remove it because it looked awful. Oh, God. And essentially, Stewart's stentorian voice is what impressed the executives, who immediately approved the casting. Uh, Roddenberry sent Stewart C.S. Foster's Horatio, Horatio Hornblower novels, saying the Picard character was based on Hornblower, but Stewart had already read those things in high school as a teenager. So... Further proves that he was perfect for Picard because he are, he is him. <laughs> um, just and took time. Just took time. Just <laughs> needed to get to know each other. As the series progressed, Stewart ended up actually exercising way more control over the character's development. Um, and by the time production began on the Next Generation film, it was impossible to tell where John Luke started and where Picard ended. And by, by, the, by the fourth film, Stewart ended up saying that I find myself talking a lot about Picard. And one of the things that I've come to understand is that as I talk about Picard, what I find is I'm talking about myself. There was a sort of double action that occurred. In one sense, Picard was expanding like this. And at the same time, he was growing closer and closer as well, in some respect, I suppose, even had some influence on me. I became a better listener than I had ever been as a result of playing Jean-Luc Picard. And it was one of the things that he does, because that's one of the things that he does uh, terrifically well. And this is kind of where those lines blur, um, because 
The overarching but why, though, is that everything Picard does breaks the mold of what a leader does, especially a, a, a male leader. Um, and so as we roll into the next one, Stuart and Picard are really inseparable. Like, I don't think that that is a role that could ever be played by anybody else, um, which is why I'm happy for the new series. They went with an older Picard to continue his story as opposed to, we're going to go to his young days, which seems to be the trend for a lot of people. I mean, come on, Kate. Think about it. Think about it, Kate. Alternate universe. Matt Hardy comes back, plays Picard as just this. Or Tom Hardy comes back, just plays this jacked Picard. (laughs) (laughs) A jacked Picard? A jacked Picard. Alternate universe. They meet each other and have to fight each other. I'd actually be down with that. I'm kind of with it because I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Tom still has that young Picard in him somewhere. He can bring it out in his old Picard, but like alternate timeline, jacked Picard. I'd be down with that. <laughs> Just I, kidding. I would actually be Please down don't. With that, <laughs> I, I would though. I would though. I love it. <laughs> but I Look also. What you've started. But I also think Tom Hardy and 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 Patrick Stewart are ridiculously sexy, and I would love for them to share the screen again. <laughs> I, I found it very interesting with your uh, comment that they were looking, they didn't feel like Patrick Stewart fit the masculine, virile yeah. stereotype, which is funny because, like, I still feel like he defines that in what he was able to develop with Picard. Like, he is commanding. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? And he owns the, fa- like, regardless of, like, the hair situation. Like, he <laughs> he's just a character that, like, steps up and he's got that look on his face and his the way he delivers his lines is 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 very you know he has that that thespian delivery but it it carries such gravitas when he delivers like a monologue and you're like i am listening i am floating on your toes there well because it's like when you think back to the times that like picard has gotten like angry and then if you if you put that against like I would say Riker is probably more the typical captain like Riker is very much made in Kirk's image, um, yeah. down to the fooling around bit. Um, <laughs> but like Riker never takes like when Riker and Picard are in a space Picard and it's not just that he's the captain and Riker's giving him that position it's that like you said Patrick Stewart as Picard commands your attention with everything with how he's speaking, how he's walking. And ultimately, like I just said, he's ridiculously sexy. And in the 90s when he was Picard, he ended up becoming a sex symbol, even though they didn't want to cast him because he was a bald English man in his 50s. Well, I mean, to be fair, we have this time of, we would say it started in 1987. We've already gone back and talked about in our December throwback of what we wanted for the 80s. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right, how Bruce Willis did the same thing for Die Hard. Well, that's what I'm saying, yeah. yeah but, I mean, we talk because we had, like, obviously we went through Terminator, and then we talk about Sloan, and we obviously we talked about Bruce Willis. Yeah. And so, obviously, you talk, add in the Kirk factor, plus the time frame, plus what's actually coming out in movies right now. I mean, I can see why he wanted that over Patrick Stewart. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, he definitely doesn't fit that mold at all, but... She's got that, that yeah, it, it's that, that weird space. It's that weird space where it works, right? Just like it works with 
uh, how it works with Die Hard. Like, yeah. just gotta give people time. Give give people time to find the sexy, <laughs> and then they'll find it. Surprise! What people will be willing to with. with. I saw a yeah, photo shoot. Come into our Discord. I saw a photo shoot <laughs> of Patrick Stewart from last year, and that man can rock a suit still. Like, yes. he's still as hot today as he was when he was on the set of The Next Generation in 87. I will say that flat out. <laughs> um, but I think it is just how he carries himself. Um, and I think that uh, one of the other ways that he ended up redefining what a captain meant was also, and I kind of mentioned it at the top of the show, was even with this really strong presence and this in-control attitude, because he was most of the time, he is a captain who also shows vulnerability in the moments that he needs to. Um, And I think some of the most beautiful moments for his character is specifically when he goes and seeks counsel from Gaiden, uh, Whoopi Goldberg's character, because it's he is a captain who can admit when he's wrong, but more specifically, he's a captain who can ask for help. And if you remember back to, because the captain we have before here is Kirk. Kirk doesn't do that. People have yeah. to shove themselves in Kirk's way to help him. Kirk survives because he has Spock there cleaning up everything after him <laughs> and making sure that he gets the help he needs. Um, which is a very different type of leadership style and a type of leadership style that really, I don't like Captain Kirk. It's going <laughs> to come out this episode. I understand dun, dun, why dun. people do, but Spock should have been the captain because that man did everything yeah, a captain we, does. Yeah, can we just like get out there that Kirk is super overrated and yes. the next generation is really only good because of Leonard Nimoy? Yeah, because all the best moments of that show really come from Spock and really not Picard. Other than like him, kind of, yeah, Kirk. It, without like without him fighting men in weird suits, like <laughs> what else is there that he really does outside of that? I was that? gonna say Kirk get is them like the all toddler. in trouble. <laughs> yeah, Kirk is like the toddler just like smashing through things like, Rah! and then you had Spock that's like the parent just shaking head like, sorry, sorry, Here, let me, I'll clean this yeah. up. It's it's okay. I'm sorry. I promise we have the prime directive. <laughs> <laughs> but then... yeah, no, like the the thing I liked the the thing you mentioned about Picard there about seeking help. It I think the big thing for me always watching it was it wasn't just that he sought help, but he sought help from multiple different people. There was yeah. never like an organizational structure that he had to go to someone like, oh, I can't listen to you because who are you kind of thing. Like he listened to everyone when he had problems, like he confided in these people he considered his friends, like regardless of the structure and he was the captain, if they had something to say and the advice was, you know, relevant and, you know, like made sense, like he'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Like he wasn't, he was man enough to almost like step back and be like, yeah, you know, I should have done that or I should do this. Like that's impressive to see, like, you know, someone like kind of get out of the way like that. And I think it's also because, like, I think that the confidence that Picard carries that really does get at the core of what Roddenberry wanted for Picard um, is that he, his insecurities don't, he doesn't, he doesn't bury his insecurities in other people. Like, he's not, he doesn't get offended when somebody offers him help. He doesn't get offended when somebody doesn't necessarily agree with him. He may get frustrated, but 
in almost every instance where somebody pushes back on him, he does internalize that pushback and reflects on it and then ultimately makes a decision based on an all-around piece. Um, and unless you're Will Wheaton. Unless you're Will Wheaton, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> but nobody listens to Crusher. You listen to his mom because she's a yeah. doctor. <laughs> yeah. Not that little. Mm. Go play with a Rubik's Cube, kid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think if you think back to the tenure of Next Generation, Jordy gives him help, uh, Crusher gives him help, Troy gives him help, Riker, Guinan, especially Data, like, he consistently leads by looking at what, what, what will help other people, um, and that's one of the beautiful things about him that you don't really see a lot, and I think that's one of the things that defines a good leader, and he also doesn't do it to his detriment. He has empathy, but he also understands when he has to maintain his morality and his sense of duty over that empathy, which is a balance that's very hard to do because it can very easily create a cold character that you don't connect with. Um, but Picard gets it. Um, so as we like move on and looking at how Stuart really sees himself as Picard and Picard as Stuart, just how we're kind of using their names interchangeably, uh, Stuart also stated that one of the delights of having one of having done this series and played this role is that people are so attracted to the whole idea of Star Trek several years after the series has ended. I enjoy hearing how much people enjoyed the work we did. It's always gratifying to me that this bald middle-aged Englishman seems to connect with them. Um, and I, I think that goes back to everything we've said. Like, every step that Picard... Like, I would trust Picard to lead me into battle. Nobody else. Because he cares. Like, like, that's his main objective. Like, you know he's leading with trying to do the right thing at the end of the day. And he's not going to ask you to do something that he will not step in and do himself. Like, yeah, yeah. sure, he sends Riker on a lot of the away missions, but that's because Riker is Kirk and he just wants to go over there and F <laughs> things up both in both in both terms. Um, <laughs> the American cowboy. <laughs> But I'm sure there are hundreds of little Rikers around around the Federation. Uh, <laughs> but I think the reason we all connect to him is because he's somebody who we can all confide in, but he's also somebody that we can all look to to lead us. And I think that that's what makes him really, really an essential piece of Star Trek. Um, beyond that, Stuart has also commented that his role has helped open up Shakespeare to science fiction fans. <laughs> Uh, he's noted the regular presence of Trekkies in the audience whenever he plays theater and added, I meet these people afterwards, I get letters from them and see them at the stage door and they say, I've never seen Shakespeare before. I didn't think I'd understand it, but it was wonderful and I can't wait to come back. I love Shakespeare. Um, it's beyond that, and it's kind of how you've been comparing Kirk and Picard already this episode, uh... Another big but why though is because he's one of the top captains in the franchise. Um, and it's as much as it can be debatable as to where he falls, Picard will always be in your top two. It's just who are you gonna put ahead of him that ends up being the question. It's usually between Kirk and him. I don't understand why. Um, but that's what happens. Because uh, old people, I think, probably, <laughs> that's fair. because Kirk is probably the less dynamic. 
I guess with the exception of like older Kirk in the movies, because older Kirk in the movies actually has yeah. depth. I just think that people aren't old <laughs> and don't want to get rid of their old people things. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, and so the character himself uh, has received critical acclaim among fans of The Next Generation, and he's usually considered one of the top two captains. Uh, a 1991, and I'm using these old guides because this is when the show came out. Just want to state that before somebody Do asks for a 2019 exist? one. Um, There's a TV the guide website. to Palm. Yeah. The website exists. Yes. <laughs> on a, a 1991, on a thing that is Kate years old, uh, TV guide cover story was titled, It's Kirk versus Picard. Experts and fans debate who's best. Uh, in a more lighthearted take on the debate, the cover of 1994 Mag- Mad Magazine, that's definitely not around anymore, uh, Star Trek oh, special wow. features both Kirk and Picard wrestling childishly to fit into the Enterprise's captain's chair while Scotty and Worf watch from their respective commanders uh, with looks of astonishment. And in 2015, Stewart addressed a long, the, the long, eh, sorry, Stewart addressed the the conundrum among Star Trek fans. If Kirk and Picard fought, who would win in Smithsonian Magazine? And Picard, uh, he ended up saying that Picard would prefer to negotiate and avoid the fight altogether. So Picard. <laughs> That's also like a weird question to ask, right? Like, who would win in a fist fight <laughs> in a show where they command We've got starships. William Shatner in the back. <laughs> However you answer, we're ready to go. Let's duke this thing out, man. They got chairs. They're going to meet in the hollow deck. Like, they, they captain starships. I don't think they're really worried about their hand-to-hand combat skills. Um, although I do have a piece in here that will say that Picard could probably whoop some butt hand-to-hand. Um, Jean, so Jean-Luc finished up as captain of the Enterprise on television with all the good things with over... 30 million viewers. Uh, The Next Generation is the most watched Star Trek show to date, with its peak audience being 11.5 million during its fifth season prior to the launch of Deep Space Nine. Between 1988 and 1992, it picked up half a million to a million additional viewers per year. Um, I don't know. I don't think that this counts Picard, but I don't... I mean, they're streaming numbers, so... Nobody releases those things, so we don't know. It's highly rated. That's all you got to go off of. Um, I will say for TV, picking up half a million is good because if we look, we talk about like we talk about the CW verse all the time and how it goes yeah. on for years. Those shows have been declining in numbers forever, but since like the season two for every show. So I mean, yeah. obviously, it's streaming has picked a tail, and so it's interesting to see. But I don't know. We'll. I don't know. Just I think still picking up a half a million for that stretch is pretty good in general. Yeah, because that's uh, five. Because we're talking. Yeah, because one, it's five seasons, and two, obviously, they don't have the benefit of streaming to where a lot of people pick up shows. Yeah. Nowadays, so then, like you can skip an entire season, like I do all the time, then come back and rewatch it. Whereas yeah. back in 1992, you, you missed it the first time. Uh, you're not seeing it until 2007. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that that's yeah, also... that's one of those that's one of those things. If you didn't VCR it or something like yeah. that, or like you had to be yeah. dialed in like that, you're out, man. Yeah, that's and what I'm I saying. Think... 
And I think the other testament to, like, what that says is, like, his last episode was 30 million viewers. That's almost three times the average rate that they had. Yeah. Like, that's and also just had insane. A, that's seven years in. Or seven seasons yeah. in. Wow. And also had a huge syndication run. Like, yeah. it was on BBC, like, almost. I think it might have carried BBC through the 2010s. Like, because it was on all the time. <laughs> it was on BBC, TNT, Sci-Fi, and WGN. Yeah, it just carried in syndication super well. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I um, think your average show averages probably le- obviously less than that. I think what we talk about. Obviously, yeah. this is weird because it is on. I'm assuming is it Fox, correct? I don't remember who the initial person was, but it it was it was it wasn't cable cable. It was like you could watch it without. It was like bunny ears. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It was on one of the basic cable before basic cable became cable you pay for. Yeah. Um, and so, essentially... CBS yeah, was CBS. the original okay. contributor. Okay. Uh, how well, well, that makes sense, right? Because it's yeah. on CBS All Access. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know. picked up the rights, though. Uh, you know many shows we had that passed through so many rights? True. Yeah. So, I think... So, this next stat is that starting in the sixth season, there is a slow decline of Star Trek viewership that continued almost unabated until both the film and television empires ground to a halt. That being said, that's the sixth season of a seventh season show. Uh, so that is taking to account Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and then the film series. And they weren't actually... So that is comparing what comes after Next Generation to Picard. So essentially, Picard is the height of Star Trek when it comes to audience consumption. And nothing that comes after it really compares. And that's even with... Sorry, Adrian. That's even with Deep Space Nine reusing a lot of the characters that were from the next generation. And so that really shows that a lot of the people who were there were there for Picard. Not knocking Deep Space Nine. I'm halfway through the damn thing. I will finish it eventually. Um. No, yeah. I mean, that's totally fair. Like, that sixth season and, like, well, 1993 to 1995, you have, like, you know, that one ending next or deep space nine happening at the same time for some reason. And then you have Voyager in like 1995, 1996. It's just a weird time. So I'm not surprised the numbers declined, but obviously like people are going to watch that over something new. I'd imagine viewer number wise. And like I said, I'm fully aware that people haven't watched. I mean, no one's really watched as much. People stop watching it as much after the next generation period, just because they're there for Picard. Yeah. It's okay. I don't argue with numbers. I got you. You good. <laughs> um, so one of the factors that people attribute this to is the proliferation of science fiction shows at the time, as well as the departure of the guiding inspiration Roddenberry, who ended up dying in 1991. Because that is one thing that is very clear that happens. You do have a tonal shift in uh, in in Picard, but also like the rest of the trajectory of Star Trek after Roddenberry's death. And it doesn't lose its, its Star Trekness. It's just very different um and a lot of it had to do with the fact that and i talked about it in our captain's episode uh roddenberry was a very loud atheist which meant when it when he came to depicting ideas of philosophy he really pushed deep and then you lose some of that as the shows as the series and franchise keeps going because there's less introspect in, in that piece and that's one of the that's one of the reasons that picard ends up being uh 
kept as kind of like this thinking captain. It's not saying that Cisco isn't because Cisco is an amazing tactician. Like he's really strategic and really good and he's managing much more than Picard managed. But at the same time, there's a lot of philosophical weight and a lot of moral, uh, moral ambiguity and moral questions that were done in the next generation. In the next generation, you end up with Picard in a situation where he is literally having to decide on large moral problems and he is put into the position where it's like do i let this one person die and save everybody multiple times um and that's some that's a weight that you get from roddenberry's writing because that is what roddenberry was interested in and it is something that declines and it becomes more about uh space fights and more politics and less about the nitty-gritty of what it means to be human um so in 2012, IGN ranked Captain Picard as depicted in Next Generation series and films as the third top character in the Star Trek universe behind Spock and Kirk. I'll take Spock. I won't take Kirk. I could take yeah, Spock. I don't take him. But yeah, one, two, one and two. That's kind of weird. I don't know if I like that very much. Yeah. I don't. I Again, I, I don't see Spock. the justification in Kirk. Yeah. Like, what did Kirk do? Kirk got everybody in trouble, and Spock dug them out of it. 2012 was this, like the second movie of the like the reboot series, yeah, right? That might be it. That's unfair. That's unfair. <laughs> unfair year. I do like Pine Kirk way over Kirk Kirk though. Yeah, because he's an actual character. That's why. <laughs> so I, for one, I just think you all are forgetting like 60s TV. It was very very simplistic. Yep. No, that's fair. He fit into like the retro the like not retro futuristic because that's different. But he fit he fit into like that Buck Rogers mold and that kind of stuff. Um, but the reason it doesn't it does that argument doesn't hold up for me is because when you put him against Spock, who is literally abiding by the exact same time period, Spock is three dimensional and he carries a lot of the weight of the story and decisions in that show because one of the things that made Star Trek so good and why Roddenberry at the helm made it very different was because the show continually pushed boundaries and that involved calling out different issues and Spock a lot of the time although like you do the first and racial kiss with Kirk because Kirk kisses anything with lips uh you do end up having other themes and larger things explored through Spock. So the ability to write a dynamic character in the setting of the 60s where you are looking at these Buck Roger-esque type science fiction shows is what set science is what set Star Trek apart. And Roddenberry did not do that with Kirk. He did it with everybody around him. And everybody and liked Kirk. But everybody liked Kirk though. No, everybody loved I would I would argue that people love Spock more than Kirk. You just told me your rankings of the past two things that Kirk was way ahead. IGN though. No, Spock was first. So if you, yeah, so if you in that top three things, Spock was number one, Kirk was number two, Picard Mm. was number three. There are like multiple documentaries just on Spock because of how much he carried in that series. So your argument isn't that. I mean, you can say that, I was but gonna it's say, still it's everybody thinks like Kirk's the... a better captain, so I don't know why you're 
arguing with me. Poll I... <laughs> on, but why those Twitter? Yes, we're gonna have to. <laughs> do oh that. no, Incoming. a bunch of young yes. people don't like the '60s character. Oh no. But that's that's. I like old no, Picard. Old Picard's cool. That, I, I mean, I love old Kurt. That, old Kurt's dope. But that's dope. not the problem because I think Spock is definitely one of the best, if not the best, character in all of Star Trek. And I'm talking about yeah. '60s Nimoy Spock. So but you're I not talking like about the captain, the though. Because he's not good! Because Roddenberry took all of his writing energy and put it into Spock and made Spock interesting. I feel that like Kirk was, was almost did. used as a ve- Like, Kirk was almost used as a vessel. Like, all right, I need to sell this to the American people. Like, they yes. need to have that, like, Buck Rogers character. But the reality of the show is everything else outside of Kirk. Well, but once that's, again, that's, that's fine, and I understand, and, and you can know all the deep thing, but you had to sell it to the American people to be good. And who did they put in the front seat to sell to the American but people? But it's not, no, it, he didn't At sell it first, to the American... it grew beyond that. Exactly. He did not sell it to the American people to be good. It was good because he broke the mold of what was existing in science fiction at the time. Star Trek stands as that point where science fiction shifts into going back to where science fiction originated. And that is one of the things that Roddenberry does. And he definitely, you're 100% right, Aaron, that he uses Kirk as like a Trojan horse to get in yeah. all this other stuff that he wanted to get in. But Use it, Kirk as a Wessel. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, like Adrian said, that's proof because once you come to the 70s and the 80s when you get movie Kirk, Roddenberry is able to do with Kirk the stuff that he ends up doing. Like, it, it, he becomes a rounded-out character in the films. And a lot of that comes because you already have this culture built in that loves Star Trek that Roddenberry can go all out. Um, and then that becomes... That, that culminates in Picard. Um, which is why Picard and Spock have a friendship in The Next Generation. So, yes. I love Star Trek. I'll talk about it a lot. Yeah. I just Which think, I you realized... think the average American has more depth than they really do. I would say the success of Star Trek shows that they do. I don't know. I think Kate I think Kate's on it, right? Cuz I mean 1986 is when we get Voyage Home and Voyage Home is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And that's Kirk and Spock. Yep. But Kirk actually gets to do stuff other than just fighting space monsters <laughs> and boning aliens. So when do we he has got, to so actually we got, first, do stuff. So what's the first episode we got? So we start in, what, the 60s and then for 20 years or 70s? When do we got to start here? Uh, 64? So, so we're comparing 64 film to 1986 film is what we're doing then, right? What? You just said the... You're mi- no, you're missing the point. Because your point is they just didn't write characters like that in the 60s. No, they did. It just wasn't Kirk. It was everybody around him. Yeah, 1966 is the first episode of the original series. No, I'm not saying they didn't write characters all like that. I'm just saying that I find it funny that the most popular character that you hate is apparently very popular. I don't don't think that is. I don't think he's better than Picard. Yeah, because I mean, he doesn't really get good until the movies, right? Because yeah. I mean, Wrath of Khan is 82. Exactly. Which goes back to like what, and Roddenberry had talked about it before, being able to have this freedom with his characters that he didn't have back then. Okay. I, say, I think with Kirk Picard, huh? like Picard's Picard like broke good. a mold. Like 
Yeah. Picard redefined like everything that it meant to be a captain. You were just like, wow, because it he doesn't. You're right. Like we talked about at the top of the show. Physically speaking, he doesn't fit into how you see as a captain, but he, everything he does beyond that leads like a captain. Like you said, Kate, like he's the kind of person when he talk, you, he talks, you believe him, you you want to follow him, and you, you see that in the new season as well. Like it, it continues to be, he just attracts people to his quest, um, and it was in, it was always interesting for me watching Picard because he him being an Englishman. And then having that vulnerable side, you just didn't see that. Like people, like especially Englishmen, like talk about their feel, like have that like strong leadership and like have people following them like undyingly and like you know complete loyalty. But then having those moments of like opening up and you were like, what the hell is this? Like we can do this? Like we can talk about our feelings or what? What is going on? Um, So it was just very different. Like it just really change things yeah and i will say i love Riker, and Riker is essentially picard or essentially kirk but i would never say Riker is better than picard jonathan frakes is amazing so can spock carry the entire series spock yes yes so we got rid of kirk and he never existed we'd be fine we'd be still having this discussion yes well i i was gonna say i think some of the elements i at least i always liked with Star Trek is the crew. Mm-hmm. Like you have the crew of people, so it's not just solely focused. Like while there is a face to the show or two main faces to you know a particular franchise or season or however you want to define it, but you also have that crew of people and how they interact and how they approach any obstacle together as a crew. As yeah. they, you know, they become a family of people. Yeah, and I think, uh, and to to answer Matt's question, like specifically from source material, um, in one of the Spock documentaries, they had an old interview with Nimoy talking about how nobody expected the popularity of his character because they just thought he was going to be that second person. And one of the reasons that Star Trek goes beyond its, because uh, it only has a two season run. Um, that's it. It's two seasons, they get an animated series, and then they get the movies greenlit. A lot of it was because of that obsession with Spock, which led to Nimoy having a lot more roles and a a footing in popular culture after that, and in in very lockstep with William Shatner. So, like, there is actual evidence to say that although he may have meant to be that character that he, that, that he could follow behind with, with Kirk being the, the Trojan horse to get him in, he does grow in, he does grow to be a favorite over that. And that is something that both Roddenberry had talked about previously before he passed, and it is something that has come up all the time whenever Nimoy had talked about it, and when you look back at, um... At, at some of the explanations from that time period and why Spock never really leaves. Uh, it's one of the reasons that Spock actually comes back more times than Kirk does. Um, it's also one of the reasons that Shatner gets frustrated in these conversations when you look at it. I think it's so. one of those... Spock was always a more interesting character because, you know, he was half Vulcan, half Earthling. Mm-hmm. Versus Kirk's just an Earthman. Like, he, he was just a brash, you know, like go get him kind of attitude where Spock, you've got more interest. You want to know more about him. You want to know more about like, you know, the Vulcan culture and all this stuff and how he approaches things. And then that like, um, 
the contrast between his two conflicting natures, like non-personal versus the personal, like and how he has to confront that sometimes. It's, it's just a more engaging character, I think. And I think we're going to have to do a Spock episode in the future because here we are. Um, but does that answer your question, Matt? Like, I do genuinely think that there's an argument to be made that Spock is the base of the series. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so back to Picard. <laughs> um, Picard is specifically another one of the reasons that Picard matters. Like we've kind of talked about Picard is a thinking captain. Picard is deemed as the ultimate delegator of authority, knowing how to gather and use data better than any other Star Trek captain. And his leadership style is best suited to a large process centric, uh, whether it is geographically, uh, where, whether it's with a geographically identical team or a diverse team, he knows how to lead people from other cultures in a respectable way, in a way that he both respects them and they respect him. And that's something that can't be said for all of the captains, because there are a lot of issues, like that I think of the Bajorans, uh, when it comes to interacting with them and leading them. Picard doesn't really have an issue when you have the Bajorans come in the seventh season. Um, but that is something that Cisco deals with uh, repeatedly because of his position um, on Deep Space Nine. Um, is that correct, Adrian? Am I good on that? No. One of his best friends is Bajoran. Yeah. Or like, nah, I don't know. How, how does issues. he lead the rest of the people on, on that ship, though? Yeah, how, how, much, how much do the Bajorans mess up stuff? On he literally head? commands a ship where there's literally all kinds of people. Yes, he does. Literally no, all kinds does. of people. But I, I think that Cisco has... He even lets... He even lets Quark do his thing. I think that Cisco, and Quark's an asshole. I think that Cisco has more of a problem with with the Bajoran than, than Picard does. At the, do I need to keep watching? Is this only? Well, really I think you just need to keep stuff? watching okay. because Picard Picard doesn't even deal with the Bajorans. He just comes and is like, "Hey, have fun dealing with this place you don't want." Sorry, I killed your wife, and then leaves. He doesn't deal with them very much at all, except for like that one episode. Mm, no, fine. And then you get into the religious thing where, like, him doesn't want to deal with these people who think that he's, like, a prophet and all this stuff. Okay, no, 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 no. Cisco's fine. Watch the rest of the, no, watch the, rest of the thing. Picard Cisco's fine. doesn't want to deal with the... Are you talking about who watches the Watchers? No. No, okay. You're talking when Cisco becomes a, a god, kind of? Yeah, like, okay. he, like where they, like, make him, like, a god. And yeah. it's like, I don't want this, but I know you want this, so I guess I just have to deal with it. Because it's going to be the benefit of everyone... And these prophets won't kill everybody. Which is the funniest thing, because that you end up with the proto-Vulcans and who watches the Watchers, and Picard takes the exact opposite stance and says bringing religion back to these people will hinder their, their progression as a society, and refuses to be their god. They're already spacefaring people with technology to go into space, so, like, they're fine. <laughs> also, Cisco didn't take Q's shit. And Picard did because he is too nice. Picard took his. He, Picard took Q's. Picard shit, punched. Picard punched, punched a god right in the face. That's the kind of man I like. He punched a basically you know god what? in the face because you know he's not about that life. You know I like that. Picard, he's hood. Picard changed. Picard changed Q's mind on things. A punch. Then why is Q that. still messing with people? Because Cisco uppercuts him, and Cisco's like. He's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't mess with this guy because this guy does. This guy's not going to play my games, like some people around here. Also, why are you coming at me for Cisco? I'm I'm over here being quiet. I, I haven't said nothing. I'm just I chilling. was just asking. 
I mean, he deals with the same kinds of stuff. He has to deal with like religious people telling him, believe my religious the stuff. The one thing I like, thought was the most important thing with him was that Cisco like can actually get the respect of the Ferengi. Yeah. Yeah. And he gets the respect of Q, which I think is super hard. Like, But Picard I, also has the respect yeah, of Q. Yeah, definitely. And for Picard sure. does it like not by punching him because that's not what Picard does, but he actually changes. Like, he plays Q's game and then beats Q at his game. And that's why Picard is a thinking captain. Or he just play 4D chess and don't play his games. <laughs> yes, uppercut him. No, but but I but I, I think like to your point, when you're talking about like being accepting, I think Cisco is accepting of like other cultures because like literally one of his best friends gets like reincarnated as like a woman and then he's just like, Oh yeah, that's my old drinking buddy from like back in the day because that's how that alien race works. So don't commit me, all right? <laughs> Jadia Dax was still his best friend even after she became a woman. That's fair. I also need to finish and watching Deep Space Nine before I go out Exactly, of yeah. Don't, don't come <laughs> at me, all right? Don't come at me, all right? Real, de- real defensive of my mans. <laughs> um, so Picard is also specifically a philosopher. Most of the time that they show him reading, he's always reading a different type of philosophy book. Kant comes up a lot. Foucault also comes up, and there are different elements of philosophy that get drawn directly into the show and is mirrored not only in the path and the storyline that Picard is going through at the time, but also through what Picard is reading. And it's kind of like a signal for the audience to understand where its position is, which is really cool when, cause I watched this when I was in college and I was also reading those people. Um, and then of course he also like read Shakespeare and all those things. Um, and one of the things that came with Picard is, and this is very different than Cisco. And the reason I keep bringing up, I bring up Cisco in that way is because they are like very opposite people. Like Cisco is like, your rule sucks. This is bad. I'm just gonna do it my way from the jump. And Picard is like, I'm gonna go with your rule until I realize it's bad. And oh no, I need to fix the bad that that rule did. And then he changes. Versus Cisco is like, not nah, this is bad. We're gonna change it right now. Um, so those are two different things. Um, and the way Picard essentially like goes through it is he ends up pushing back on very specific points. Uh, Reddy brought up who watches the watchers where you have Roddenberry's atheism, like most, uh, significantly displayed on screen. Um, and it, it's honestly one of the most significant pieces, again, monologues against religion that I've ever seen in television, in all honesty, except for maybe in house, um, but this was like in the 90s. Uh, so it's very different time and less accepting. And Roddenberry went there. Uh, or rather, Star Trek The Next Generation went there. Um, and then you also have, in one of his pivotal moments, you have, um, and this directly leads into where the new Picard show is going or has been going, is his defense of data and specifically his defense of synthetics and honoring them as people. And instead of exploiting them um, and that it's, it's the maketh of a man episode where he ends up going against the Federation themselves and arguing in court that data does count as a crew member and data does have humanity because synthetics aren't just androids. They do. They don't. Data is weird because he kind of develops emotions, but like uh, they're more human. They, they have equal parts human and robotics and certain synthetics develop real agency and that was one of the things that Picard was fighting for um and as we see in the new season synthetics and um 
denying their humanity as well as denying their existence ultimately and pushing them away is one of the central focuses of the of Star Trek Picard. Um, one of the things that also comes up repeatedly is that when we get Picard, he's in his 50s. And so you get a lot of references about how he had that arrogance. And a lot of the time, it kind of feels like a dig at Kirk, because a lot of the stuff that he mentions, like, he'll be in like, almost a mirror image of a situation that Kirk was in. And he'll do it differently. And he'll reference that had he been younger, when he was younger, he would have done it Kirk's way. I think one of the biggest ones is when he confronts an alien that looks very much like the the famous one that i forget the name of it the one that kirk fights the ugh, i can't remember what it is the reptile one yeah yeah i don't yeah that guy um and instead of fighting him he actually finds a way to learn his language and communicate with him and comes to a bigger understanding of the issue that was actually happening on that planet Shaka, where the wild spell? It's a good episode. Um, and one of the things that happens a lot too is Picard is malleable when he realize when he is presented with information that proves him wrong, he will adjust. He'll never go against it, but you have to like he has to see that um to see his change but he ultimately does um i think one of my first thing one of my biggest things that i really love is from first contact where he says they invade our space and we fall back they assimilate entire worlds and we fall back not again and it's one of those things where you see picard isn't just a captain who chooses something and sticks with it but he's a captain who chooses learns and grows and he grows in whichever way that takes him. Um, specifically in First Contact, it takes him to actually fighting back when others don't want to. Yeah, that's a good moment. I'm glad you brought it up because it's one of my favorite moments where he's just like, all right, enough is enough. I'm tired of this. <laughs> <laughs> like, let me put these philosopher gloves down. It's time to do something you know, forward. So I'm glad you included that one because that one's huge for his character. And um, one of the other things that you end up having with Picard, and this goes back to an element of his vulnerability, is you have this really big exploration of trauma when it comes to Picard. And it's one of the things that makes him a really fascinating character. Um, we brought up the Four Lights episode when he's taken prisoner and held hostage. That's something that sticks with him and is and continues. That, that it doesn't come up all the time throughout the series after that point, but it is referenced and it is noted as a very um, specific experience that impacts him as a captain, as a leader, and as a person. Um, you also have it when he's assimilated into the Borg and he comes out of it and he also has to deal with that trauma. And then as we transition into Star Trek Picard, you see a culmination of all of these events that happened in the films and in The Next Generation, and then you have a new event um, that that deals with it, and you have Picard actually experiencing PTSD episodes throughout, uh, throughout the series and trying to deal with these issues that have culminated in him as a person. And so you get to see a very... Um, a less stoic Picard and somebody who is uh, consistently having to deal with the grief and the pain of what he's done before, what his choices have happened and what has happened to him. 
which is something that you don't which is something that makes for a compelling story about a leader because a leader isn't always somebody who's going to lead in good a leader sometimes has terrible things happen to them and it's what they do afterwards that makes them a good leader um, and I think that that's something that really sits with me when it comes to discussing who Picard is. Yeah, that kind of um, in that uh, new show, you know, when he, he's kind of going through that, that trauma, like, you know, he has those moments where he kind of just locks him away, like he locks himself away and he, he, you know, he gets called on it as well. And he kind of just like, you know, where were you for the rest of us? Like when the rest of us were looking for our leader, you kind of just hid and, you see him kind of like battling with that as well. And he's kind of just like almost like waking up from a what, 20, 30 year retirement absence where he's just kind of like buried himself. And you can start to see him kind of rise up again. But there is a lot of like reflection at that point where he's trying to reconcile everything that's happened and he just wasn't able to process it. Yeah. And I think that's something the movies do well too. Um, because the Borg aren't nice. <laughs> and a lot yeah, of it no. <laughs> impacts you. And that's something that I like has been a through line. And then specifically in the new the, the new series, understanding the the weight of your mistakes is something that's that's really key. Um, outside of all these things, though, he's a captain and he leads ships and he does fight from time to time. So although Picard doesn't uppercut Q... He does sometimes have to go, okay, we got to fight. And that leads us to the Die Hard episode. But in Star Trek, where he takes down single-handedly an entire, uh, like, kind of like, uh, I don't know how many, I don't remember how many there were, but a whole bunch of marauders uh, ended up taking over the ship, uh, taking over the Enterprise. And he went through and single-handedly beat them all, and he even used the Vulcan... Vulcan nerve pinch. Um, he takes them on all by himself. It's great. It's awesome and shows that he can handle himself. Uh, he just chooses not to get his hands dirty a lot of the times. Um, the other thing he has under his belt is the Picard maneuver, which came in handy a bunch of times. And you have Picard himself. Uh, essentially, it's like his Hail Mary. It's the Save Our Skins maneuver. Um, and he invented it during, out of desperation in a surprise attack. He ended up going into a high warp aimed directly at an attacking ship and to their radars for a brief moment, it looked as if there were, the ship was in two places at once. Um, and they didn't know where to fire and Kirk didn't invent anything like that. He just had the, what's it called? The whatever Maru. Oh, yeah. Maru. Yeah, yeah, which is not as good, in my opinion. I don't know, man. He did play Beastie Boys that one time. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> hey, man, say what you will. That's a dope scene. It is. But, yeah, not as cool as the Picard maneuver or the Holden maneuver. Yeah. Um. So beyond that, uh, this is where we're going to start talking uh, just briefly about the Star Trek Picard TV show. Um, because this show takes place after The Next Generation, and we see a more a grown Picard who's dealing with a lot, like we've kind of talked about. And this is a but why, though, because it works. It's critically acclaimed. Fans love it. There's not a lot of division around it. And it, it's a piece to his character that kind of solidifies why he matters, because he still matters now. 
um, in Star Trek Picard, he's left the Federation. Uh, he's very angry at the Federation. Um, and specifically when he needs them, uh, what, what makes Picard a very different TV show is we're used to seeing Jean-Luc succeed. We're used to seeing his gravitas and his legend get him through doors and solve things and get people to say yes. But in the second episode, he walks into the Federation after saying that it isn't the Federation anymore. And he do, he he's very nice and he asks for a ship and he says, I'll even get demoted from Admiral to Captain so people don't know things. And the lady, uh, the commander who he's talking to, straight up tells him to shove it. Um, and get out and he fails and he fails repeatedly and it's something that you end up it's hard to see a hero fail because we're watching it and we're like he's legendary in star trek canon he's legendary and you're seeing this legendary force essentially having to deal with the consequences of calling out the federation and and dealing with his own anger and frustration over it. And and seeing somebody you love and seeing somebody as prolific and as good of a leader as Picard fail is kind of hard to watch, um, but in a good way, because it grows him a lot. Because you can't really grow if you're constantly succeeding. Definitely so. I mean, like, he, it almost forces him into a situation where he has to go rogue and kind of figure out, like, okay how do I do this without the resources of the Federation? And then, like, because of that failure, I think he kind of finds a way to to reinvent himself to still get the job done. And I think that, like, kind of like what I was saying before, kind of he finds a way to kind of awaken that tactician in him and say, okay, there's not always one avenue to solve a problem. There is multiple, but his go-to is immediately, like, the federation they are the organization that cares they you know they they want the best and they just don't seem to this new modern federation doesn't seem to share his uh morals kind of what they used to they're not in line he doesn't have the same people in the same executive positions it's it's a new organization with younger minds at, at, at the uh at the top of the the table yeah, I'm only on episode three because I haven't. I was out of town, so I haven't caught up to where we're at now. But I think one of the things I like the most about this series so far, and this is, can also just be because of you know some of the people being really old now and probably can't come <laughs> go gallivanting across the the galaxy. But when he's like put in a position like, hey, like you need help, and he's like, no, I'm not gonna go tell any of my friends I'm doing this because they would they would just come immediately. Yeah, uh, which I think is a super big thing to do when you have the stakes of what they're dealing with and for him to be like yo probably would it help a whole lot to have my old crew with me for sure would i be putting them in danger and probably not the best situation for them because they would actually do it 110 percent yeah no also number one is the cutest little number one yes (laughs) oh yeah he's such a good boy Oh, you such a good boy. So, I'm looking at the show, uh, basically the ratings and stuff, because obviously you said critically claimed. Uh, right now, it looks like from the average of Rotten Tomatoes, we have a 90% for the critics and actually only a 64 for the audience. That's actually surprising, because I haven't seen anything bad about it. Uh, I know a few people I fo- uh, that I follow do not like the show at all, um, but that's about it. 
Um, but for the most part, I have seen people enjoy it. But obviously, I've seen people that do not like it. I have not seen it, uh, so I could not tell you. I was just going off of what we have as a rating. Which is also interesting, again, of the massive 30, almost 30-point 30 split, again, between critic and audience, which has become more fascinating with Rotten Tomatoes. I, I'd be yeah. curious to see the demographic of that, because yeah. like, if these are newer fans kind of coming into the show, kind of discovering, like, what's the buzz about Picard having not seen The Next Generation? I think there is a slower pace around the show, but for me, personally, that always... It, it works around this because, you know, as the story kind of builds what they're trying to tell, they're not trying to rush through it because you yeah. can't with where he's at in his life. Well, and yeah, it's kind of weird because even like looking at some of this stuff, like Google users, 93% like the show. Uh, where, I don't know, where else did I see? It's like a 4.6 or it's like a almost five stars on prime video. So like, who are these rotten tomatoes? I have no idea. Like I people? Said, That's I, the craziest thing about I said, it. I have no idea. I just pulled up the numbers from what I found. Uh, like I said, I have not watched it and have background. I was just recording what I found. I mean, cause I actually think that this is a really good, well, maybe less a jumping in point because I do think that there is some weight that comes with knowing who Picard is as a character that you don't, it doesn't necessarily hit as hard. Um, if you don't know that, but I do think so far as pacing, I think that they did a very good job of blending the, the next generation slow paced storytelling with a lot of the fast paced JJ Abrams, like, like the fighting styles is highly yeah. stylistic in the same way. A lot of the action sequences and set pieces are just as large and as intricate as a lot of the new reboot movies. So I think that it, 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 it at least blends that piece really well because I do think a lot of people, especially like younger people, if they go back and watch The Next Generation, I think that they would miss the forest for the trees, essentially. Um, wanting more of that really hard-hitting Chris Pine as um, Zachary. Where are my beastie so. boys at? Yes. <laughs> Give me my beastie boys. Well, honestly, but... I'm kind of hoping people who watch the show do go back then or watch... The yeah, next generation I, to get more of an understanding. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think, but I think it helps once you're grounded in it first. Like, I think yeah. that this does enough to get you invested in Picard, and then if you want to go back, good. But I think a lot of people coming from the way that 2020, 2019 tells these stories, or even 2015 up tells stories, it's a lot slower when you go into something like the next generation. Um, yeah, because you also got to consider Star Trek, Star Trek Discovery still going on, and that's like also a mixed bag yeah. because like critics love it, audience hates it, like on Rotten Tomatoes. I haven't so it's watched like a very, it. I didn't like the way they made Klingons look. Yeah, it's it's different. So like, if you're going into it thinking this is going to be Star Trek Discovery, like that's not what you're getting from Picard. Yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of weird. So do you think that could have affected how that audience score goes? Like maybe they just went like they went in already frustrated with Discovery and then just like yeah, wrote probably. Off the that's what I, that's what I'm thinking. Like they wanted like to go back to like the olden days of 1987. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure. Yeah, because then and then you could also have the people who wanted it to be exactly like Discovery and then came in and didn't get Discovery and. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I think overall, like, as somebody who, like, this is my favorite captain, he always will be. Like, I think that this, Star Trek Picard is everything I ever could have wanted in a series. 
Um, and it highlights all the things that I love about him as a captain without keeping him stagnant, which I think is, is really important, especially with older characters. Um, and I think that Roddenberry would be really proud of this series specifically because of what it deals with. Um, yeah, but that's all I really have other than my fun fact, which is that star that Gene Roddenberry named Picard after one or both of his twin brothers, Auguste Picard and Jean Picard, um, who are, uh, uh, they were 20th century Swiss scientists. That Not his very brothers. specific That's naming. Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I guess final thoughts on everything. I, I know that I missed a lot of of stuff. Uh, there's a lot more to talk about, but I think we had a pretty good conversation. What are y'all's final thoughts on, on Picard? Matt? <laughs> um, obviously, clearly, people here like him. He's Patrick Stewart. Um, I like Patrick Stewart. Um, that's about it. I don't know. I said I have not watched any of this, so for me to like say, I mean, obviously you guys talked about other stuff. Obviously, you we had the captain's episode, so kind of getting on his like what his demeanor and how he acts and what he was. Obviously, seems an a very interesting character. You can see why people like him. Yeah, I like turtles. um i i mean i don't know i think i'm kind of like i think kate really hit everything that i wanted to hit when we're talking about picard um i mean cisco has a special place in my heart i think because i'm i identify more with like what he does but picard is kind of like the um I don't want to call him like the Superman of like things, but like he's like the ideal person that you'd want to be in life. But I think Cisco's more realistic, which is why I like Cisco a that's, little bit more. That's really uh, fair. Yeah, but Picard is like the uh, like the gold standard of what you want to be as a person, um, because of all of the things that Kate covered throughout this episode. And I mean, we could have sat here and talked about all of our favorite Picard moments, and it could have took, taken up two hours because there's so many throughout that you know seven seasons. Even if season six declines a little bit. When you still have that many people watching, it's definitely because of Picard. And, of course, like um, Aaron said, because of the cast. But it's largely because of Picard in that series. So he is a great captain. That's why he has a whole show about him all these years later, even as an old man. So thank you, sir, John luc Picard. I do think you're right, too, because if I had to be a captain, I actually think I'm probably more like hyper-aggressive Janoway than I am anything close to to, to Picard. <laughs> yeah. Now, Janoway yeah. is in a very different situation than Picard Definitely. Is. A much she different situation. She has a reason to much be that different. way. But, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm more her, I think. But, like, I, I, but that, I agree yeah. with you in that Picard is what I want to be. Like, he's, yeah, he's what that's... we want to be, maybe not who we are. Yeah. Um, Jean-Luc Picard opened doors for the rest of them. Yeah. Um, you can close it out, Aaron, but my, my final thought is just my favorite thing that Picard has said. Um, and it's buried deep within you. Beneath all the years of pain and anger, there is something that has never been nurtured, the potential to make yourself a better man. And that is what is to be human, to make yourself more than you are. Oh, yes, I know you. There was a time I looked at the stars and dreamed of what might be. And it's just a really good line. And now imagine it in a 
deep British voice. So that I could have read it. Oh yeah, that's right. The British guy could have read it. Whatever. Um, and that's from Star Trek Nemesis. It's so good. Oh, Captain, my Captain. <laughs> uh, Aaron, close us out. Oh, this is a lot of pressure. Um, yeah, I would follow that man anywhere. Just bloody fantastic, and I continue to feel like I drink Earl Grey solely on his influence. <laughs> and that's about the depth you'll get from me. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, man. I tried. I tried because my dad is a big Star Trek fan and he loves Picard. So he bought all this Earl Grey tea. <laughs> I'm going to try it. I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like it. I was like, give me my green tea or my sweet tea, please. Yeah, I, I drink Earl Grey every day. I, when I, so I had tried... I tried drinking tea because I offered tea in the in the office, and the coffee on Mondays like it's old coffee because the people who changed the coffee aren't there yet. Um, and so I was like, I'm just gonna drink tea. And every time I try to drink the Earl Grey tea, I end up dumping it out and getting the the green tea because I can't. <laughs> I, I I try I, to convince Picard myself be every ashamed. time. Go watch the show; it's amazing. Yes, go watch Star Trek Picard on CBSL Access, and I will put our affiliate link in the show notes of this episode, so you can check it through there. It is an awesome way to support us. Um, but if that's all we have, thank you so much, Aaron, for coming on um, and uh, guiding us with your Britishness. Um, <laughs> uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, hear you, see your work? Okay. You can find me on Twitter, at British CPA. I'm also part of the Nerds Social Club podcast, which we are uh, part of the But Why Though podcast community. You can find us at Nerds Social Club on Twitter. Uh, we also are on Instagram and Facebook with the same tag. So we do news of the week. We try and do similar things with, as far as like trailers and posters. We'll talk about casting news. We just kind of like get into any of the nerdy conversations that people generally want to have so yeah find us come talk to us we just like being available and talking to people and Yay, listen to the podcast and... <laughs> i always forget to say listen to the podcast i got it in this time and if you want to support us a little more head on over to patreon.com slash but why the pc or i mean just get your cbs al access subscription through us that also helps um, and you can find us on all of our social media at ButWhyTheRPC. Tell us who you think is the best captain, and it better be Picard. Um, <laughs> and then you can find me at OhMammothRandier on Twitter. Adrian? Yeah, but you can find me on Twitter at SuperReese93, S-U-P-E-R-R-U-I-Z, 93. Matt? I'm going to go for a walk. 